Good morning, everybody, and welcome once again. Happy Father's Day to those of you who are fathers. And uh, go ahead and open your Bibles, if you would, to Matthew chapter 5. Matthew chapter 5, verses 1 through 12. We're going to be in the section there this morning that, that people refer to as the Beatitudes. And it doesn't mean be of this attitude. Be- beatitude is a Latin word for blessing, and Jesus says blessed a whole lot here in these, in these 12 verses, so that's where that comes from. Uh, So go ahead, Matthew chapter 5, verse 1 to 12, and as you're turning there, I'll pray for our time together in the Word of God. Lord, our our prayer is simple this morning. Please come. Please come and and, and speak to us now through your Word, uh, the same way that you you spoke to your disciples and the surrounding crowd so long ago. Uh, and, And help me to be faithful to the text, and helpful to your people this morning. And I ask that in your name, Jesus. And everybody who agrees said, Amen. Verse 1, seeing the crowds, he, that is Jesus, went up on the mountain, and when he sat down, his disciples came to him, and he opened his mouth, and he taught them. And and pause for just a moment, and I'll, I'll continue the reading right after this. But you'll notice that the scene here was very much like it is here on each Sunday morning. You have those who are called Jesus' disciples. Right? Jesus sees the crowds, and it says he sits down, his disciples come to him, and he opens his mouth and begins to teach them. There's emphasis and focus there on his disciples, and yet there are those who are not yet his disciples, who are in the crowds and who are within earshot, and they can hear what Jesus has to say to his people. And that happens here every Sunday morning. We have people who gather with us who would, in terms of how they self-identify, would not call themselves disciples of Jesus Christ, but they're with us. And our prayer, if that's you, our prayer is that you would, in hearing what Jesus has to say, would actually become one of his disciples by the power of his spirit. Let me me try to switch this out just a moment, see if it works. Testing, testing, there it is. That's all for the song, folks. That's... All right, Dave, I'll start over. How's that? Just with the text. Matthew chapter 5, verse 1. <clears throat> Seeing the crowds, he, that is Jesus, went up on the mountain. And when he sat down, his disciples came to him. And he opened his mouth and he taught them, saying, Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are those who mourn, for they shall be comforted. Blessed are the meek, for they shall inherit the earth. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they shall be satisfied. Blessed are the merciful, for they shall receive mercy. Blessed are the pure in heart, for they shall see God. Blessed are the peacemakers, for they shall be called sons of God. Blessed are those who are persecuted for righteousness' sake, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are you when others revile you and persecute you and utter all kinds of evil against you falsely on my account. Rejoice and be glad, for great is your reward in heaven. For so they persecuted the prophets who were before you. Lord, help us as we... Try to understand what you just said. You know, sometimes a change in perspective 
makes all the difference. Yeah, last Thursday night, my wife and I, we were, we were at home. It was bedtime, so the kids are upstairs. Parents love that time. The rest of the day is great too, but bedtime, there's nothing like bedtime. Some of you know what I'm talking about. And so it was about 9 p.m. because I was putting the kids to bed that night, and, and I'm a lot slower than Heather. So Brianna's up in her room, and this is my three-year-old, and, and so she's up there, and, and, you know, just like every night, we tell her, now, Brianna, stay in your bed, make sure you're quiet, and do your best to go to sleep. She had a nap that afternoon, so it was a little bit more difficult for her, but, but we, we thought this would be a good night, all right? So here she is, she's up there, and it turns out that instead of trying her best to go to sleep, she's doing her best to keep her older sister, Kira, awake. So Heather goes up to have a word with Brianna, and she goes up, and their conversation goes something like this. Brianna, sweetie, you're making a lot of noise. What did mommy and daddy say? And Brianna, Brianna this night just kind of tucks in and says, Mom, I thought you couldn't hear me because I was under my blanket. <laughs> ah, and, and Heather, no doubt, trying to keep a, a straight face at this point, says, Now, Brianna, you know that even if mommy and daddy can't hear you, God is always there. He can hear everything. Mom, no, God is in my heart, not next to me. (laughs) And by this time, I don't know how Heather is keeping a straight face. Apparently, Brianna thought that she had God tucked away in a place that was much more soundproof than her blanket. (laughs) And so Heather just says, no, no, Brianna, remember, God is omnipresent. He's everywhere all at the same time. And then Brianna responds, that's her little face when she's surprised. Let's just say a change of perspective occurred. She understood something about God that maybe she didn't understand two minutes before. And and sometimes we need a change of perspective as well. For instance, what's your current perspective in terms of how you walked in this morning? What is your current perspective uh, on who the most fortunate people on the planet are? Who are the most fortunate people on the planet? The wealthy? The intelligent, the highly educated, the physically attractive, the popular, the pain-free. That's not what Jesus teaches us here, is it? According to Jesus, the most fortunate people on the planet are the ones that he mentions here in our text. To be sure, he's speaking about the same group all the way throughout the Beatitudes. It's not like he's saying there's one group who's poor in spirit, there's another group who mourns, there's another group who's meek. He's talking about the same group of people. They're citizens of the kingdom of heaven. And he tells us, first of all, what these people look like in verses 3 through 6 at the most private level, the level of their own private thoughts. And then he's going to go on as we go through the rest of the Beatitudes to talk about what these people look like in their public interactions with other people. And as we listen, I want us to kind of gauge Jesus' picture of a citizen of the kingdom of heaven by what he says here in the Beatitudes. Let's look at the first one. First thing he tells us about their private thoughts is in verse 3. He says, Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. First of all, they're poor in spirit, and without yet saying what that means, theirs is the kingdom of heaven. That's why they're blessed. For, because theirs is the kingdom of heaven. And and Jesus' words here carry the sense of theirs and theirs alone. You get that sense? He's not saying, well, theirs is the kingdom of heaven, and you know what? The kingdom of heaven belongs to everybody else too. That's not what Jesus is saying. He's he's actually drawing a line and saying the kingdom of heaven, my kingdom, belongs to those who are poor in spirit. And, And instead of me trying to give you my own definition of what that means, do me a favor. Turn to Luke chapter 18 
We're going to look at Luke chapter 18, verses 9 through 14. I'm just going to show you very briefly a story that Jesus told, which kind of paints a picture for us of what he means by poor in spirit. I'm just going to trust that this is more effective than anything I would have come up with. Luke 18, verse 9. Jesus also told this parable to some who trusted in themselves that they were righteous and treated others with contempt or looked down upon others. Two men, he said, went up into the temple to pray, one a Pharisee and the other a tax collector. And in case you're unfamiliar with this at this point, the Pharisee is supposed to be in that day the good guy who does everything that God requires of people, and the tax collector is supposed to be the bad guy who is a thief uh, and and takes all your your hard-earned money and that sort of thing. And it's kind of like a traitor to the Roman government. So here it is. The Pharisee, Jesus said, standing by himself, prayed thus, or you could say prayed to himself. God, I thank you that I am not like other men, extortioners, unjust, adulterers, or even like this tax collector. I fast twice a week. I give tithes of all that I get. And then the tax collector comes up, standing far off, and he would not even lift up his eyes to heaven. But he beat his breast, saying, God, be merciful to me, a sinner. And Jesus said, I tell you, this man went down to his house justified rather than the other. For everyone who exalts himself will be humbled, but the one who humbles himself will be exalted. See, in this story, the Pharisee is the exact opposite of what Jesus means when he says poor in spirit. The exact opposite. If you look at his approach, there's something telling about how he thinks about himself when he comes into what he understands to be the very presence of God. Before the most perfect being there ever could be, this man comes in and, and he begins to say, God, I thank you that, and his next word is I. Not I thank you that you have done this or that you have made, I thank you that I. And he begins to compare himself to other people. He comes out on top, surprise. Now, this is the heart of the Pharisee here and the exact opposite of what it means to be poor in spirit. He actually thought that he was good enough to be accepted by God on the basis of his own moral record. Is is that you this morning? That was me when I was 19 years old. You would ask me something like, "Why, why would God accept you into heaven? I would have told you, I would have had a list of reasons like this Pharisee. I don't hurt people. I do this. I'm nice to people. You know, I'm quite popular, but you know what? I go out of my way to speak to people who are not. I'm sure that counts for something. I'm racking up points in my own value system here, but that's not the way of God. The tax collector, on the other hand, look at him. He's poor in spirit. He can't even bear to look up at God because he's come to discover something, the truth about himself. See, when he comes into the very presence of God where there is perfection, he wasn't comparing himself to the Pharisee anymore or anyone else. Did you notice that? He goes straight to God. He begins to speak to God. And and it's it's very simple. He just says, Lord, I, I finally have a chance now to evaluate myself in the light of your pure and perfect standards. And I see who I really am. I'm not good. I'm not good at all. He he realizes that he is a spiritual have not. You see, he's poor in spiritual things. He's poor. When it comes to what God requires of people, spiritually speaking, he's poor. He's needy. He's broke. He's bankrupt. And and he realizes this. That's the difference. You see, everyone really, technically everyone is in that position. 
whether they know it or not. The difference here is that this man realized it. He understood that he was bankrupt and destitute of anything of value to God and spiritual things. And he declares bankruptcy before God. And he says, the only chance I have is if you are merciful. Have mercy on me, a sinner, poor in spirit. Theirs, and theirs alone, is the kingdom of heaven. Let me ask you a few questions. Do you still think of yourself as basically being a good person? And here's why I ask that. Because if you do, and let's just be honest about it for a moment. Don't, don't cower from this. Because you're, you know, a lot of people will say things. I remember when I was in college, they would say, you know, if I've got some incurable disease, I don't want to know. Because that was, they just wanted to live life in ignorance and bliss. The bliss that comes from ignorance. But really, the best thing you could do is find out. So that if there was some kind of treatment, you could, you could avail yourself of it. Look, if, if you're still thinking of yourself today as a good person, what that means is that you're actually you're actually evaluating yourself by some standard of goodness that you have in mind. Do you you get what I'm saying there? You've got some standard of goodness in mind. You're measuring yourself by it, and you're saying, you know, I'm doing pretty well here. My question to you is, what, what is that standard? What standard of goodness are you applying to yourself when you evaluate yourself? The next question is, where did you get that standard from? And the most important question in the series is probably this. How sure are you that when God evaluates your life in a final and permanent sense that he's going to be using the standard that you're using to evaluate yourself? What if he has an altogether different and higher standard? What if, watch this, what if Jesus is right and we are not? On one hand, we have a man who died and then got back up of his own accord, who speaks about all these things that we have opinions about. And on the other hand, we have us. Need I say more? Now, Jesus' perspective is the right one, and ours needs to change. You and I have to come before God. Forget other people for a moment. We have to come before God like this tax collector. Realize that we are spiritually bankrupt and declare that bankruptcy before God and say, Lord, I throw myself upon your mercy and here I am with my hands wide open to receive whatever help you have to offer to sinners. And ladies and gentlemen, that, that help has a name. His name is Jesus. I'm getting ahead of myself, but it's okay. If, if I'm getting ahead of myself and... And it leads me to Christ, right? So here it is. The the next thing, that's poor in spirit. The next thing Jesus says about these people, whose is the kingdom of heaven, to whom the kingdom of heaven belongs, at the private level of their own thoughts, he says that they are those who mourn. And this, Tim Gleason, really builds on the first, doesn't it? Doesn't it grow out of that? It's they mourn precisely because they realize they are bankrupt and spiritually depraved when it comes to spiritual things. They mourn, as this tax collector did, their own spiritual depravity, their own sinful condition. And they even go beyond that, and they mourn the sinful condition of others. Have you ever done that? Have you ever been there? Surely, if you're a Christian, you know this feeling, you know this experience. In fact, let me, Psalm 119, Psalm 119, verse 136, says it very well. My eyes, they shed streams of tears. Why? Because men do not keep your law. 
You see, it's easy as a Christian to get really upset with and angry at others who are not Christians for the ways that we think they mess up the world with their sinful conduct and their sinful approach to life. But, but the psalmist is saying something different here. My eyes shed streams of tears. They gush. Why? Because men don't keep your law. He's so zealous for, for God's honor in the world and for God's glory to be revealed, for God to get from human beings what he deserves, that he actually cries because people, random people perhaps, perhaps don't keep God's law. And I thought, when was the last time as I was preparing this week that that happened for me? I was sitting actually in a Panera near my house and I, I began to cry. I began to cry partly because it had been some time since I had done that and, and, and partly because I began to think about the condition of the world, even outside of myself for just a moment. And I began to realize how desperate we are for God's spirit to come, for God's spirit to just do something. While, while we're busy doing church the way we normally do or whatever it is we do, how desperate we all are for God to come and do something special. And we realize, don't we, that as we mourn, don't we realize that we're we're, we're in a position, Tim, where we're not really able to fix things ourselves, that we lack the power. We have the desire at this moment, but we lack the power to change things and to make them right and to do in the world what needs to be done. We might have some knowledge, but, but the, the, ability and the, the, the ability to make our desires and efforts stick, we just don't find. And that's what Jesus says thirdly. He says, these people are meek. And that's kind of what he's getting at. There's a meekness. Blessed are the meek for... They shall inherit the earth. And if you look at Psalm 37, verse 11, you see what Jesus is saying here. There, that, that's probably where Jesus is pulling from, where it actually says there, the meek will inherit the land. I'm pretty sure Jesus was making a loose quotation to that. And as a matter of fact, turn, with, if you would, to Psalm 37 really quick. I wasn't planning on doing this, and I'll, if I do too much of this, I might go past time, Ryan Burns, but we'll see. I'll try my best not to do that. I made a deal with my kids. Where are they? But in Psalm 37, I'm going to start in verse 1. And I won't read the whole thing, but I'll read the parts that will be most, I think, most helpful for what we're doing here in, in Matthew 5. Psalm 37, fret not yourself because of evildoers. Be not envious of wrongdoers, for they will soon fade like the grass and wither like the green herb. But trust in the Lord and do good. Dwell in the land and feed on his faithfulness. Delight yourself in the Lord and he will give you the desires of your heart. I will read the whole thing. Commit your way to the Lord. Trust in him and he will act. He will bring forth your righteousness as the light, your justice as the noonday. Be still before the Lord and wait patiently for him. Fret not yourself over the one who prospers in his way, over the man who carries out his evil devices. I will not read the whole thing. Verse 7. Verse 7. Be still before the Lord and wait patiently for him. You see, you see, when you're meek, you realize that even with the desire to make everything right, whether you're talking about those things which are wrong in your own heart or those things which are wrong in the world at large, there's something that must happen. God must do it and we must wait patiently for him. We cry out to him and we call out for his power and we ask him to use us and others, but we wait patiently for God. And notice it has the sense here of people waiting as they're watching other people who are abandoning any sort of integrity, any, any sort of idea of how God says we are to live as human beings in the world. And there are people who are departing from that and it seems like they're getting ahead, right? I'm getting left behind here because I'm doing things the right way. 
And if I were just aggressive and I, I just kind of compromised a little bit and I reached out to grab a slice of the pie, I could enjoy my life a lot more like some of these people. Yeah, I thought about Mike. No, I thought about you, Mike, as as we were, you know, just just grabbing cars, selling cars, picking them up, giving them to dealers. That, I mean, you could you could you could meet your quotas a lot more quickly if you just did what some other people did. Just lie a little bit, fudge a little bit here or there, right? But no, the Lord says there's a meekness in Mike. There's there's wait on the Lord, trust in Him. Do do what the Lord says. Don't give up. There's a meekness, you know, not only, not only are, are these people poor in spirit, not only do they mourn their own sinful condition and the sinful condition of others, but they're meek and they wait upon the Lord patiently and they don't abandon the way of integrity when they're most tempted to do so. And if they do, they quickly come back and ask for the Lord's forgiveness, right? Just like the rest of us who really belong to Christ. And then fourthly, Jesus says they hunger and thirst for righteousness, you know what it is to be thirsty for something natural, for a drink. And there are times where only water will do. Well, spiritually speaking, there are times where only the righteousness Jesus speaks of here in verse 4, or rather the fourth thing here in verse, what's the verse? 6. There are times where only that righteousness will do. And they're hungering and thirsting for it because they feel their need, they don't find it within themselves, and they cannot provide it for themselves. Again, they they meekly approach God and wait upon him. And God is the one who must supply this righteousness that they do not find in themselves. And they cannot find it in me or in you. There's only one place where we can find this, and that's in Jesus Christ. That's in Jesus Christ. If you've ever read through the book of Romans, that's what he's talking about. In fact, as you, as you stick with us over the next few weeks and months, as we, as we go through the whole Sermon on the Mount, you'll see how Jesus comes to this in, in the latter part here of chapter 5. and In chapter 5, verses 17 through 20, we'll get there in a couple of weeks, he begins to speak there about a righteousness that goes beyond the righteousness of the teachers of the law and the Pharisees. And he actually says in verse 20, unless your righteousness surpasses that of those men, you will not by any means enter the kingdom of heaven. Righteousness is the key. Righteousness is the ticket. You must have the righteousness Jesus speaks about in chapter 5, verse 20, to enter the kingdom of heaven. But we hunger and thirst for it as we look upon ourselves and know the truth about ourselves in the light of God's pure standards. But something happens. Look look at the Bible. Look look at Matthew 5 again. Something seems to happen in this passage as Jesus is speaking He talks about people hungering and thirsting for righteousness. He gives the promise that they will be satisfied who hunger and thirst for righteousness in this way, the righteousness he's speaking about. But then as he moves on to verse 7, you'll notice something else. Jesus says now, blessed are the merciful, for they shall receive mercy. Blessed are the pure in heart, for they shall see God. Blessed are the peacemakers, for they shall be called sons of God. He, He moves in a sense from exclusively dealing with things that are true about us at the most private thought level. And he moves now into something that is true about us in the way that we interact with other people. Even pure in heart, if you understand what he's talking about there, falls into that category. But he starts there in verse 7. He says, Blessed are the merciful, for they shall receive mercy. These are people who now, having come to the cross having received the righteousness by faith that only comes through faith in Jesus Christ, they, they now have been shown mercy by God and they bend that mercy outward. 
You see this in all the letters of the New Testament, like Colossians chapter 3, Ephesians chapter 4, where it says there, forgive one another. It comes in the form of a command. Forgive one another, just as God in Christ has forgiven you. You see Jesus telling this parable of two servants, one whose debt was forgiven, a rather small debt comparatively, and another whose extremely large debt was forgiven. And the interesting thing was that person who had an overwhelmingly large debt forgiven by the king, obviously speaking of Christ in that parable, that person himself had a servant that owed him some money. And instead of showing mercy to that servant the way he was shown mercy by the king, what does he do? He demands payment. He demands every last penny. Having received a pardon over here, he comes over here and displays no mercy. And the king hears about this and says, you wicked servant. Ought you not to have mercy on your fellow servant as I had mercy on you? And now you, you will be the one that we demand payment from. And you will never get out. This is, blessed are the merciful, they will be shown mercy. Blessed are the pure in heart, for they shall see God. Hebrews chapter 12 speaks about this. Verse 14, I believe. Strive for holiness without which no one will see the Lord. I don't even have time to really explain that because that's hard. It rubs against so much of, of what we hear theologically, right? That, wait, you mean, you mean holiness is required to see the Lord? Uh, those aren't my words. Those aren't my words at all. Now, we can always talk about what holiness means there. I think it's best to let your, your idea of what holiness means there be shaped by the rest of the book of Hebrews as you read it verse by verse, but... But without holiness, no one will see the Lord. That, that is in your Bible. If you check, you'll find it. But here he, he says the pure in heart will see God. Now, now go, to, go with me to 1 Peter and let me show you something. 1 Peter chapter 1. Peter speaks here about a pure heart. And I want you to notice how it comes about. I want you to notice how it comes about so that nobody will leave here this morning thinking, aha, I've heard some good things. I heard, I've heard some things that God is looking for in people. And you know what? I'm going to forget everything he said about being meek and I'm just going to go out and make it happen. I'm going to redouble my efforts. Forget the fact that it's never worked before. This might be the time. Right? No. Watch, watch the pure heart. How does it come? Verse 17, If you call on as Father, Him who judges impartially according to each one's deeds, conducting yourselves with fear throughout the time of your exile, knowing that you were ransomed, or knowing rather that you were ransomed from the futile ways inherited from your forefathers, not with perishable things such as gold, but with the precious blood of Christ, like that of a lamb without blemish or spot. He was foreknown before the foundation of the world, but he was made manifest in these last times for the sake of you, who through him are believers in God, who raised him from the dead and gave him glory so that your faith and hope are in God, having purified your souls by your obedience to the truth for a sincere brotherly love. Watch this. Love one another earnestly from a... Pure heart, since you have been born again. 
You see it? Love one another from a pure heart since, or you could translate, because you have been born again. The power to produce the pure heart in people like us who are sinful in and of themselves comes through the gospel of Jesus Christ, his life, his death, his resurrection, what God has done through him for us. And having been born again through faith in him, now the pure heart comes. The pure heart Jesus speaks about in Matthew chapter 5. Blessed are the pure in heart, they shall see God. Blessed are those who have received the truth of who Jesus is and what he has done for them. Blessed are those who have believed the gospel that we preach here every Sunday. Because they and they alone have the heart that Jesus speaks about, which is pure. They're pure in heart, and they will see God. And only the pure heart can look upon God. How how foolish one man said are those who think that they can see God with the eye, when he can only be seen with the pure heart. How foolish are they who long for evidence that is physical and empirical, who demand it, who hold God hostage and hold his people hostage saying, put it before me, show me the evidence, then I will believe. How foolish. God can only be seen with the pure heart. Such people are much better off listening to the Christian who says, you you must repent. You're using the wrong instruments. There was a guy who who wanted to take up astrology or astronomy. I can't remember which one is which. One of you can help me out later. He wanted to look at the stars. And so, so here's the thing. This guy was, he, he, he just worked with plants, right? He was a botanist. And he decides one day he's going to, he just wants to go stargazing and, and make himself an expert in that. So he goes to his friend, who, who is a stargazer, who interprets the stars and that sort of thing. And he goes to his lab and he says, friend, I want to take up a new interest. I want to look at the stars like you. And the guy's ecstatic. He's saying, finally, you're, you're going to get involved in a real science. I've been trying to get you to do this for so long. And he says, all you have to do is come here, set up a time. I'll let you use my equipment. And, and you can just, you, you know, to your heart's content, look at the heavens and, and see, see how amazing they are. And, and the guy replied, no, that's fine. I'll come here. But don't worry about your instruments. I'll use mine. I'll just get the instruments that I use to look at plants. They'll They'll do. No, no, no. And his friend, his friend who was an expert in looking at the stars, looked at him and said, you don't understand. You, you can't see the heavenly bodies with those instruments. You need different instruments. Friends, God is only seen with the eyes of faith. God is only seen with the pure heart. God cannot be seen with the natural reasoning powers of man. It doesn't work that way. It doesn't work that way. And if you, if you are serious at all about learning the truth about God, you have to abandon this, this search for him with the instruments that you have chosen. I will, only, I will only believe in him if I see him through my own powers of reason. You, you, you won't see him. And you'll perish as you insist on him meeting your demands. It won't, it won't work. I say that because I love you and I care about you. It won't work. Now, you need a new perspective, and more than that, you need to repent. You need to repent because in the end, by the time we get to chapter 7 here, you'll realize that we are not the ones who are able to make demands of God. That's not the way this works. It is quite the other way around. And we're much better off if we learn that right now and take it to heart. Blessed are the pure in heart, they will see God. Verse 9, blessed are the peacemakers for they shall be called sons of God. And all of these beatitudes are things that are unique to those about whom it is true that theirs is the kingdom of heaven. This is the peacemaking. 
which seeks to achieve peace between man and God. And on that basis alone, peace between man and his fellow man. In other words, it's not, we're not trying to get every individual person reconciled to each other. I'm not trying to say, hey, Stephen, be reconciled to Lindsay and, and Dan, be reconciled to... to oh, man, I'm drawing a... Don't, don't, don't tell me. Don't tell me. <laughs> Sheldon, see? That happens to me quite often, right? Now, pray, Lord, give me a fast mind and a fast memory. Right? We're not trying to get every single person in the church to be reconciled to each other on one level. Here's the thing. One, one guy said this. Do you realize that what chaos it would be if you had an orchestra and everybody was trying to individually tune their instruments to every other instrument? No. One person stands up with an oboe, sounds a note, and everybody tunes to that one thing. Right, Jerry? And, and here's the thing. All those other instruments are automatically in tune with one another because they're in tune with the one note that was sounded for all. That's how reconciliation works. That's how peace works here. Peacemaking. We're, we're putting before the world Jesus Christ. Here is the one God has put. He is the perfect life that God has sounded throughout the world. He stands at the apex of history for all to hear and to see. And we say, look to Him. Be reconciled to Him. Be at peace with God through Jesus Christ. And instantly you're at peace with others. Yes, there are things to work out. There are arguments and discussions to be had. Yes, that's not what we're saying. But in your heart, this is how we seek to make peace between people and their God, between people and their creator, and on the basis of that, peace between people and other people. Blessed are the peacemakers. They will be called sons of God. Why? Because the Son of God himself, this is what he did. He came and put himself upon upon the cross, and now Ephesians tells us that he himself is our peace. Verse 10, blessed are those who are persecuted for righteousness' sake, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. And that's Jesus' main point. To whom does the kingdom of heaven belong? He mentions it in verse 3 and verse 10. He bookends it. And verse 11 and 12 really grows out of verse 10, doesn't it? But I want you to notice something about it. He says, blessed are you when others revile you and persecute you. Did you get that? What word is he repeating? Anybody? Bueller? Blessed are you when others revile you and persecute you and utter all kinds of evil against you. Have you ever noticed with Jesus that he's never content to simply speak about theological generalities and ideas? And to just kind of throw some ideas your way to evaluate, but that he, also, he always makes it personal? He may begin by asking, who do men say that I am? But you can be sure that he's coming around to ask, now who do you say? that I am. Jesus is, is getting personal here, and here's, here's what I want to do. I, I want to make this personal, as personal as he makes it. Can Jesus look at you this morning and say, blessed are you? Blessed are you. Not just because there are, are times where others revile you and persecute you and other all kinds of evil against you, hopefully falsely, Sometimes people are just annoyed with us because we're obnoxious. That's not the same kind of thing. That's not what it means here by this persecution. That's probably well-deserved. This is something else, right? At least it wasn't my case. Maybe that's just me. I doubt it, but, but maybe that is just me. Blessed are you. And here's the key. When others say all kinds of evil against you falsely on my account. You see the persecution he's talking about here? is not something that comes to us because we're obnoxious or we're not really sensitive to the situation at hand. It, it's, it's because people don't like Jesus. They just don't like him. 
They, they have come to see that he is here to interfere with life as they would have it, and they don't like him. They don't like him. They don't like his messengers. They don't like his representatives. They don't like anything having to do with him. They would, they would rid the world of Jesus and think that the world was better off for it. And they persecute you because you keep bringing him up. Just like God. They killed him. God brought him back. And here you are 2,000 years later still bringing him up. Keep doing it, Christian. Keep doing it. The person who persecutes you the most needs him. Keep bringing him up. I was talking to a guy named Cliff. Uh, my, my car battery broke down. I just chalked it up to the sovereignty of God so that I could have this conversation. The other, you know, the other causes, such as leaving my lights on. <laughs> we won't talk about those, right? But, but here it is. Cliff came to replace my car battery. And, and we just, we, somehow he got to Jesus, right? And so we started talking. And he just pours out, he says, I'm, I'm 47, he pours out his heart, I'm 47, and I'm still looking for that peace that I know that some people have. And, and there was just something, he, he kind of gave me that look, and you know this look, where he, he detected there was a difference between me and my relationship with God and, and him and where he stood with God. He could tell. And, and so he spoke to me on that level, and he just said, I'm, I'm looking for that peace that you seem to be talking about. And I said, Cliff, there, it, it's only found in one place. It's not going to be found in any of those other relationships you're talking about. It's found only in a right relationship with God through Jesus Christ. There, there's a, the kind of peace that you're looking for is, is one where you're joined back together with the one for whom you were made and you can't find him anywhere else but Jesus. Cliff, would you let me pray for you? And he said, yes. And so I just prayed and I said, Lord, would you help Cliff find this peace in Jesus? Amen. I think he was rather surprised by how short my prayer was. <clears throat> but my prayer was short for two reasons. Number one, I had to go. And number two, <laughs> I did. I really had to go. But number two, I, I believe in the power of God. Uh, at, at least in my best moments like, like that, I, I really believe in the power of God to save Cliff, just like he saved me 15 years ago, when he showed me that I was poor in spirit and bankrupt of anything that would be of value to God. When he showed me that, that I needed to mourn over my sinful and lost condition. When he showed me that only meekness would win the day here. That I couldn't just push myself forward on God and claim whatever I thought was mine. But no, I had to wait for God. And there was a hunger and a thirst for righteousness. But God satisfied me. And now he sent me back out into the world as one who, having received mercy, can be merciful. Who can look upon God with eyes of the heart that have been enlightened and say that in a very humble way, because I've been born again, that there's a, a pure heart here which is able to see God and to, and to evaluate myself much more properly in, in light of who he is and in light of who I am. And yes, there's, there's a peacemaking. There's a seeking to bring others to the place where they're reconciled to God through Jesus Christ. There's persecution that comes with it. But all of this is done. Why? <clears throat> Why? It's because of Jesus. Have you caught on yet that all these things that are now true and typical of, of Christians on one sense or, or on one level, that none of us really attains to the standard that we're talking about here, but we have one who did. We have one now who lives to make intercession for us. We have one who offered himself up on the cross and who was raised from the dead by God so that you and I could actually have a pure heart and see God and live this life. Never perfectly, but increasingly, much more like the way God would have us to live it. 
We owe all of this to Jesus. He gets all the credit and we get none. And that's the way we want it. That's the way we want it. At least here, that's the way we want it. Isn't that how we want it, Christian, on our best days? We don't really want the credit. We quickly are ashamed of those things which come up in our hearts. And, and You know, when we're speaking to people and we want some credit for it, that's not, that's not who we really are now by God's Spirit and His work. We've been changed. We've been changed. And if you're here this morning and you're not yet one of Jesus' disciples, you're, you're in the crowd. I want you to take this as a sign, the fact that you're here today, that Jesus is speaking directly to you and the door of opportunity is open. You say, how does this happen? How can I be born again? Well, it's very simple. You hear what we just said today and in your heart you find faith, you believe, and you can't keep yourself from believing. You find yourself reacting to this message and responding in a way that you could never have made yourself respond. Everything in you is standing in attention right now. And the person right next to you could be falling asleep. In fact, I think some of you are. And then you say to God, Have mercy on me, a sinner. Let's pray. Lord, have mercy on all of us. Sinners, the whole bunch. But sinners, by your mercy, who have an opportunity to have their sins forgiven and to be eternally accepted by you into the kingdom of heaven. I pray, Lord, that that as we see here a a picture in the Beatitudes of your son, Jesus Christ, and and on another level of, of the Christian, the one who will be able to stand in the last day and enter the kingdom of heaven that we would be increasingly found as those to whom you can say blessed are you blessed are you blessed are you for yours is the kingdom of heaven